Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And ladies, it goes without saying, we could rock any of you as Miss Florida on the Miss America stage. You've done a fantastic job tonight. Have a Just a wonderful job. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses your stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic, ingredients and the big idea. So in this episode, we're going to talk more deeply about what you need to tell a great story, the aforementioned ingredients. Let's start collecting them here. Uh, so Lane, you have an acronym to help you think through the process, and that's CAST. C-A-S-T. First up, the C stands for character. So what are you looking for in your characters? Um, I'm looking for someone who is interesting and has something at stake. So, I mean, I I always think about trying to find the uh, normal in the abnormal more than the other way around. (laughs) So I like characters that catch your eye. I like characters that might stand out in a crowd. I like characters that or on the fringe of a crowd. I like um, people that have a little bit of self-awareness, but maybe are also going through something where they realize something's about to change. So sometimes it's an obvious person, right? Sometimes you seize on somebody and you think that's an obvious character for your story. And then other times you're casting, I imagine, right? You're looking for, back to the acronym, but you're looking for the right person to tell that story. Yeah, and sometimes it's as simple as who's going to let us in. You know, so I'm, sometimes some stories I've gone through four or five different people that could have brought me to the same story, but only one of them is really willing to sit down and share their thoughts and feelings. Um, sometimes it's, you know, who do I have in that moment because I need somebody right away, right away. And sometimes it's like who has a backup system. So if this person falls off the radar or if this, something happens that I can no longer get to this person, there's somebody behind them or next to them that can also help me to them. And do you think of character as a place, too? A couple of times there's, there's been characters as a place. We we did one story I remember about um, the last county in Florida that didn't have a stoplight. No stoplight in the whole county. And they were about to put a stoplight up there. And so we went to this town and the photographer and I spent like two days casting around for the character to tell us the story. And we talked to the policeman and we talked to the highway guy. We talked to the lady at the diner. And finally we, we stood at this intersection and we realized that that was the character. Like this little intersection in this big sprawling, you know, rural county, that was our character. And then once we figured that out, the story was so much easier. So talk about Michael Turbay, because we're going to use this story example for character. So who was, you tell a little bit about the story, and then we'll read a little bit from the uh, from the beginning. Okay, so Michael Turbay is one of those examples of a character that probably everybody sees in like their little town or on their daily 
walk of life and don't really pay much attention to. He was the clerk in a convenience store by my house. And I would stop by there to like buy beer on the way home and stuff. And he's in there. You know, he's ringing up cigarettes and lotto tickets most of his day is spent in this little tiny convenience mart in this little tiny town with the same people every day buying cigarettes, lotto tickets, and beers. So I'm in there one day, and there's a, a line at the um, cash register, and I'm, I'm waiting. And someone goes, hey, how you doing, Mike? And he's like, oh, I'm having the best day of my life. And I almost dropped my rolling rock. I was like, what? Like, why is this, this convenience mart guy, like, selling other people's vices is having the best day of his life? It's like cracked. It was, I was like, oh, let me get in line quick, quick, quick. And so all these other people, no one followed up on that. Oh, glad you're having a good day. Bye, Mike. You know, and like, just go about their life because he's just the dude behind the cash register, right? And I'm like, oh my God, I couldn't help but over here. You know, and I use that line a lot. Like, I couldn't help but over here. What happened today? Like, you're having the best day of your life. And he starts telling me a story. And the line starts getting longer and longer behind me. And so I was like, I'm just going to wait it out here till I can talk to this man. And uh, it became a really wonderful Father's Day story. So read the beginning there. I think that's what I pulled out is the beginning of that story. On the day he got the phone call, Michael Turbay went to work early. He locked the room he shares with his parrot and his pit bull and plodded down the sidewalk to the TLC Convenience Mart where he works the night shift. The owner greeted him with the, how you doing? Normally, Mike would have answered, just glad to be here. And he was. Finally sober after 41 years, he had what he needed to get by. A job, a room, a phone. It was a good enough life. But on this Wednesday, his answer was different. Great, he said loudly. A grin grew beneath his gray mustache. Behind his bifocals, his blue eyes danced. Better than great. This is the best day of my life. A woman looked up from the beer cooler. A man in the snack aisle turned around. This morning, my daughter called, Mike told everyone in the store. I have a daughter, and she wants to come meet me. On the day she made the phone call, Janie Marks, 41, got up early. She padded downstairs in the dark of her Long Island home, careful not to wake her two kids, and found the Florida number she'd been dialing every day for almost a week. So far, a machine had answered every time. Hello, you have reached. She couldn't just leave a message, not about something like this. Now it was 7 a.m. Wednesday. It took Janine 30 minutes to work up the nerve to dial the number. Hello, answered a deep, gentle voice. Janine remembers being so startled that it took her a minute to stammer. Uh, Is this Michael Turbay? Yes, who is this? It's me. I mean, Janine. I'm Ann Cantor's daughter. I think you're my father. That's great. That's a, and that story, um, by the way, we'll, so we'll obviously we'll add links or we'll have the story in with the posting. And that's got a great ending where you go through and he meets her. And I was, someday we'll talk about endings. But that, that one that you don't actually don't you just get to the point where they meet. But because the, the buildup is so so great. What um, you were obviously drawn to him because of that moment. Right. But he became a good character because he opened up and he, he had such a compelling tale. He was and he, and I love I love writing about people in the shadows. You know, I love writing about those people that you see every single day and don't know anything about them. I mean, he's a fixture in our little town. Everybody in Gulfport goes to this little convenience mart, but nobody knew anything about this guy, you know. And I I love that. I love that aspect of all the people in town after we were like knew who he was and would come up and talk to him and stuff and I think because we're all afraid that the person will actually sit there and you'll get stuck talking to them for a couple hours and they won't have an interesting story. That's what I think of the, the rest of the world's afraid of but you're never afraid of that you're willing to go there Um, there's some interesting story with everybody (laughs) so back to cast so the a stands for action right you're looking for action which means what what needs to happen 
How much action? Anything. <laughs> I think something anything has to action. happen. Something has to happen. Even if it's just getting up the nerve to dial the phone call. You know what I mean? That could have been action in, in, a, in a short story. Especially in the shorter, like the more tightly framed stories, it doesn't need to be a whole lot of action. It can be very, very quiet, you know. But I think in order to uh, convey a narrative to the reader, you have to make them want to know what's going to happen next. And whether it's, you know, are you going to pass your driver's test? Is grandma going to live through Christmas? Or, you know... Is your son going to come home from school on time? And that you need to have access to the action, whatever it is, right? And you talk also about sometimes it's the inner dialogue that's the action. Something might be going on in your head. and you Right. But do you have access to that? Is somebody going to open up? And you can recreate it. I mean, that's not the best way to do it. Um, I, if at all possible, I want to be there to witness the action. You know, I want to be able to see it and, and feel it and taste it. And, but you can recreate it, too, especially if you have people who are willing to let you poke around through their mind and, you know, and their heart. So we're not going to have examples for everything because then the podcast would be three hours long. But um, th- th- we were going to use this example of the dresser. So you have a guy who, it's his hobby really, is to is to dress contestants for beauty pageants. And you got a chance to go with him and watch him kind of at play with that inter- interaction with the contestant. Right. Yeah, this actually, uh, this was a good thing for, we could have done for character too because I got this assignment to write about um, Miss, I think it was Miss, St. Petersburg, who was going to the Miss Florida pageant. And we'd written about Miss St. Petersburg like two of the years in the past because she kept running and kept being the runner-up. And so we'd done all these other great profiles about Miss St. Petersburg. And so I was casting around to try to find a character around Miss St. Petersburg that could lead me to her. And I found out that they don't let the girls, um, the women who organize these pageants, don't encourage the girls to do their own shopping for their dresses, their evening gowns. They have this man, um, and the woman called him a Svengali, which I loved that word. I was like, I've never typed Svengali. That's the greatest word ever. And he was this gay guy who worked at the Waffle House who'd made a career of grooming beauty queens. And so he lived with his partner in this little bungalow, and the whole place was papered with these, like, eight by 10 glossies of all the beauty queens he'd coached. And I went shopping with him when he took me to St. Petersburg to look for her evening gown. So here's a little snatch from that story. The dress Pender takes into the dressing room costs $898. She'll have it on for 10 minutes max while she strolls across the stage. Sometimes the boutiques give her discounts or let her borrow the dresses. Sometimes Pender's mom or handlers help pay. Brown likes to shop for himself, too, but he doesn't look for anything this fancy or expensive. Quote, I buy my stuff mostly at Old Navy and Burlington Colt Factory, he says. I can't afford much better for me. But I did splurge and buy myself a nice suit for the Miss Florida pageant. Another pageant director helped me pick it out. It's a wool blend with a long black jacket. Very contemporary. Very fun. Brown was a reporter for a small weekly paper in Ohio. He got to cover the Miss Ohio pageant once, but he decided that journalism's hours were too long, the demands too great. I needed more free time to help out with the pageants, he says, from a cream leather sofa by the dressing room. That's why I wait tables at a breakfast place, so I can have the afternoons off to do stuff like this. Pender emerges from behind the pink curtains, her tanning booth bronze shoulders arching above the bodice. White lace loops across her willowy waist and spills down to her defined shins. Oh my gosh, I'm in love with this, she coos, twirling in front of the full-length mirror. Brown gets off the couch to get a better view. He walks around her, looks her up and down. Pender lifts her long hair to see what it would look like pinned up with that dress. You'll need beaded earrings, silver accents, and you'll wear your hair down, Brown says. It's gorgeous. Feel like a diva, Pender says, staring at her reflection. I knew you would love it, Brown says. Now try the blue one. Um, we should say so. Th- you know, 
before we're in the middle of cast, so we'll get to S and T in a minute. But your this is part of how you decide whether you're going to try to write a narrative. Do you have a good character? Do you have something you're going to be able to watch and bring to life? So, if you had you met this man, but you didn't get a chance to really watch him in action, you didn't get him dressing her, you didn't get to see any of that interaction. It limits what you can do with this story, right? So. You, yeah, I think I'm asking for that as much as I'm asking for character. You know, when I find somebody I want to write about, one of the first things I want to say is, what do you got going on? You know, what are you doing tomorrow, the next week, this weekend? Right. You know, help me find a place that I can be there while something's happening. S is for setting. Um, you're looking to frame the story somehow, somewhere, put us someplace. And um... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Listeners might remember the one about the guy who was at the bar telling a story to his friends about the two women who ripped him off when they came by his house and flashed him. Um, And the bar was an important place. So what do you look at? What kind of setting? I mean, what do you want out of that? What are you hoping to get? I, I usually look for something small. You know, I don't like the Steinbecky, like, here comes the history of the world and the tectonic plates. So I want a place that's like framed and defined that I can transport my readers to almost like the scene in a play you know like a, a stage that's defined this little world um and I, I want it to be some place that I can uh, take readers to and transport them there you know one, one of the um stories maybe we'll talk about later I did a story about a, a boy from this town called Pahokee who was trying to get out of this little tiny small town at the bottom of Lake Okeechobee by playing football and the town itself the setting itself became so paramount to the story we didn't even realize that at the beginning you know but I think setting can be an important part of the action as well and T for theme yeah I think that's something you taught me Maria like looking for a theme not only after you've done all the reporting and before you start writing, but while you're out doing the reporting, you know, what is this really about? And sort of playing back and forth between one word or two words that would um, be something universal that would touch everybody. So not everybody can relate to, you know, helping a beauty queen buy a dress, but you can relate to the idea of finding something you're calling somewhere unexpected. And then, I mean, I think that story was about passion, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the the big idea in the title of this podcast is you, you talk about wanting to close the distance between fact and meaning. So what does that mean? Yeah, trying to, well, I mean, the old adage about like show, not tell, you know, but trying to be able to draw, bring the writers, the readers on a ride with you um, so that they you're, you're telling them or showing them things that are going to allow them to make their own conclusions about something. Um, and you're picking details um, and dialogue that shore that up, you know, that, that, that it might be really interesting that, you know, someone has purple hair, but if that doesn't have anything to do with the story, it's not necessarily worth mentioning. So trying to find the meaning in the details that, that shores up what the theme is, um, is really important. I know in your one of your presentations, you quote Mike Wilson, your former boss, and he says, uh, too many of our stories are just big bags of facts. And I think that's true. I think a lot of times they don't resonate very much because it's just a bunch of things sort of thrown together. Right. I think if you can watch somebody going through something and stand on their shoulder 
while they are taking that walk, it's going to be a lot more resonant than just telling you information. I think a big part of that is like pulling away and doing some of what you're talking about, thinking this through, not just, you know, staring at your notebook or staring at a blank screen and trying to figure out what this is, but really walking away from it a minute and just thinking about what point you're trying to make, what story you actually have in front of you. That's one thing they never do in journalism school, you know, and that most editors don't really even give you the time to do, but it's so important to take, whether it's five minutes or five hours, to sit there and think about this, like, what does it mean? What am I really trying to convey to the readers? Why am I telling this story, you know? I think that a lot of times it'll just be, you know, Mike would go, go get a Diet Coke, walk away, <laughs> you know, just walk away for a minute, you know, and, and talking it through with other people too, whether it's your editor or your coworkers or your friends. I'm doing a story about this and getting other people's input about how that relates to their own life or what they're wondering about, and you can figure out how it's going to connect. And I'm always I'm always kind of riffing off you and taking away from you. What do you think this story is about? Because I think different reporters come away with different ideas about the same, could come away from different ideas about the same material. Absolutely. Right, and then, and then trying to shape that. Um, I always say that I, I think a lot of stories are a mile wide and an inch deep because I think that they've, People haven't done this work. They haven't. They haven't figured out all the pieces, and they haven't figured out what they really want to tell here. And you, you collect so much stuff. You catch. You cast such a wide net that it's hard to figure out what pieces are meaningful. You know, how much do you need to tell somebody about the background? Tucker and I watched this movie last night, the Three Billboards movie. I don't oh, know if you guys you? have seen that, but it's about a woman who's trying to find the murderer of her daughter, and never once in the entire story do they talk about how her daughter was murdered. They don't go back and talk about who her daughter was. They give you like zero context of the murder itself, but it's so powerful in terms of like, what do you do after this happens? You know what I mean? And I think whoever wrote that play obviously thought that through a lot about, I don't, I'm going to leave this all out to the reader's imagination. You know, because yeah. that wasn't the point of what he was trying to get at. Because it was the mom's story in the in the aftermath. Yeah, um, you talk about other elements you're looking for. Obviously, an emotional connection for readers. I mean, that's paramount, I guess. Right? Elaine de Gregory's story has to have an emotional connection. Yeah, I want to make you feel, and I really want to make you cry. <laughs> Wait, I thought you liked happy stories. Well, you got to cry when you're happy. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do many of those, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I was going to say. I mean, you like them, but you don't do them that often. Um, a motive? What do you mean by a motive? What's driving that person, you know? And a lot of times that comes to the backstory too, I think. You know, you have to be able to say, why is this person passionate about this or dispassionate about this? Right. Um, so and she's going to be a beauty pageant winner. Why? What, why? You know, did she grow up hating herself and then decide that that's what she needed to do? She actually was toddlers and tiaras. Her mother had her oh, in there when she was two. Yeah. So it defined her from the get-go. Absolutely. Yes. Um, you say you look for scars. Yeah, I think, I mean, Mike used to call it a bruise on the apple. I mean, I think it's kind of the same thing, like something. Um, actually, that's a great question for people to ask to reporters out there. Ask somebody about their scars. Those are really great questions to get people to open up Physical about things. Physical and yeah, mental. And emotional, yeah. Okay. Um, but I think, you know, the, the more um, you can talk about the things that have hurt somebody or um, frightened them or shaped them in some kind of negative way, and then how they worked through that, that becomes such a universal uh, touchstone for people because everybody can relate to that in some way or the other and it makes your character stronger and it makes the readers care about that person more you know if it look, just looks like oh she's a beauty queen you know why should you give a darn about her but when you find out 
the year after my story came out, she was in this horrific accident and she almost died. And she came back not as beautiful and had to like redo who she was in her life, you know. Um, I should took, I mean, underscoring some of this, like you got to find people who are willing to tell you their scars, who are willing to give you that kind of intimacy, right? Because not everybody is. So, right. I mean, if you don't have that, then you can only peel back so much. And a lot of times that doesn't come out till like later in the interview or in the second or the third interview. I mean, unless I know something, unless I'm doing the story because I knew you were in a horrible accident and I want to bring that up, right. I'm not going to really start poking around in those dark places until I've kind of established a rapport with you and gotten you to trust me a little bit. You talk about thinking about stakeholders. So are you thinking about that from the get-go? I mean, what, and you're thinking about who's going to be drawn into this story? Like, Yeah, so going back to the, the, um, the Beauty Queen story, I'll just use that as an example. That was an assignment. That wasn't something that I wanted to do. And, but I knew immediately I didn't want to do it about her because we'd done these other stories about her. Um, so I kind of drew a circle, and I put Miss St. Petersburg in the middle, and then I made these lines like almost like rays on a little kid's sunshine, you know, and I tried to write about all the people that were connected to her that could lead me you know, I threw a pipeline to her, but wouldn't be her. So my very first person I thought about was her mother, because I knew her mother was the one that wanted her to be a beauty queen. But her mother lived in Georgia and wasn't going to come till the day of the pageant, so I couldn't interview her in person. And I thought, ah, that's not going to story I want to do over a phone. You know, it wasn't a good phoner to do. So I kind of that was my first choice. And then I thought about this idea that would be a totally not about Miss St. Petersburg, but about like the idea of beauty queens and pageanthood. And I wanted to write about the caterer at the event who was trying to make food for these super skinny beauty queen girls. And like, what do you cater? Like celery and carrots? I don't know. And I thought it would be so fun and interesting to write about what they ate in the two days up to this pageant. But the caterer thought that was a really stupid idea. <laughs> he didn't want to talk to me at all. So then I was like, okay, like what's different? What's different about this pageant this year? You know, and I found out that it was the year that, um, they were letting girls wear bikinis for the first time. So before that, it had to be a one-piece bathing suit. But this year, they were like, you can do two-piece bathing suits. And I found out that Miss St. Petersburg was working really hard on her abs, and she'd been going to a personal trainer to work on her abs. So I thought, well, that would be a good scene. I'll go watch Miss St. Petersburg sweat. You know, I'll go over to the gym with her and work out and talk about this new aspect of the beauty pageant. And I found her personal trainer, and I went and talked to him, and he was great, and he was gorgeous, and he was so proud of her. Like, she'd been working so hard. She looks amazing. And then he says, but we've been sleeping together, and you can't put that in the paper. And I was like, oh, hell no. I cannot write this story and not put that in the paper, especially once he told me that. I had I couldn't unknow that. You know what I mean? So then I was like, okay, this stakeholder's not going to work either. And now I've wasted, like, a day of my two days I have to write this story. Um, so my last resort I kind of usually do is, like, put myself in that person's place. Like, I have no idea what it would be like to be a beauty queen. I'd never been to a beauty pageant. I'd never thought about being in a beauty pageant. But I was like, okay, Lane, if you were in the St. Petersburg, <laughs> I'd be like, I could rock the interview. I know I could do that. I could play a really great flute solo for you <laughs> for my talent portion. I would freaking hate the bathing suit part. But what about the evening gown? And I started thinking more and more about, like, where do you even buy an evening gown in St. Petersburg? I mean, I haven't had one since prom, you know? Like, So I started going through this riff, and I called the pageant organizer, and she's the one that led me to Alan Brown, the dresser, and said, oh, they happened to be going shopping this week. And I'm like, dang, you know? So then I had a character. I had action. I had a setting in this lovely dress boutique. And then we went back to Alan Brown's little bungalow and had a little coaching session, you know? Um, and I had this, this sort of theme of, of finding your passion or following your passion. 
that would be a great place to stop. But I just wanted to say one thing about like another thing that you point out, and I think that you do so well, is you're looking for originality. You're, you're looking to turn the story around a little bit. So like you, you said something you sent to me that, you know, not getting the, the guide dog, for instance, but giving it up, you know, like turn, just twist it so that you're not doing the obvious story. Right. I so, want to surprise readers. I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years. I want to surprise myself. I, I don't want to write the same story people have already read again and again. And every year someone writes the story about Miss St. Petersburg, you right. know. So what can we do differently? I'm always thinking about that. And I think that exercise of stakeholders is a really good way to do that, you know, because you can find people that you might not have thought about that can lead you to that idea, but not have to make that your central character. All right. If you have a question for Lane about any of these stories or uh, any anything else, and if you want to recommend a podcast idea, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next episode. This podcast was produced by Denise Keenan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.